So he carried the stars in his pocket. He drank the sunrise till he was drunk. He embraced the angels. They swam like little minnows in his blood, ghosts in his eyes, out walking beside him. Laughing like children in his mind, they chanted his mantra together. You could love. You could love. They were happy. Robert Edward Hannibal, June 8th, 1937 to June 24th, 2003. Glenn Travis Campbell, April 22nd, 1936 to August 8th, 2017. A couple of men I'd like to have a few words about. Wichita Lineman was my dad's favorite song. Glenn Campbell, 
seems to he was an icon all through my youth and and, and childhood really um, of course he was big on the radio and and uh, I'd hear him everywhere but uh, often in big rotation in, in my dad's car or when we were <laughs> when we were hanging out together or, or um, he was trying to encourage me uh, to play sports the way he did my dad was a uh, football in uh, played football in college and I wanted uh, wanted me to also be um, a uh, an athlete of some sort and of course that uh, that just wasn't uh, in me to do um, not only then I have very little interest in it um, I just wasn't cut out for it it just wasn't uh, part of my makeup but I'm rambling um Glenn Campbell passed away yesterday. Right now it is uh, 8 o'clock on the morning, Wednesday, August the 9th. And uh, I got the news in the middle of the day yesterday, and I don't know why. Uh, it shook me so badly, other than that was... Uh, Glenn was probably the first real superstar musician that, that I was aware of when I was... Um, when I was just a boy, you know, in my uh, six, seven, eight years old, when he when he was at his heyday, um, I was uh, g gently gently aware of the Beatles, um, but uh, uh, my my parents weren't big Beatles fans, uh, so there wasn't a lot of that around, and I think some of them, some of it, some of their later music in the in the late sixties. Wasn't approved of in my household and in my neighborhood where I was growing up. My mother was a huge Elvis fan, so of course I knew about Elvis. But Elvis was, Elvis was more of a, I guess, a rock star. I guess in in my opinion, Elvis wasn't real to me. Elvis was not. Um, of course, his upbringing was. You know, he he came from from uh, from poverty, and he and he rose to superstardom. Uh, but Elvis was already there and had been there for decades before I ever came along. So while I was aware of Elvis and I knew that Mother loved Elvis quite a bit, he was he was uh, way beyond. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a human being to me. He was Elvis. Um, but Glenn Campbell was was a, a man. Glenn Campbell was a was just a a guy. He 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 became a superstar. He became. Uh, an incredible icon and, and a musician and, and somebody who who did it for real I guess is, is what I'm trying to get at um, Glenn was a, a session musician you listen to uh, the, uh, a lot of the early uh, R&B songs and uh, uh, Aretha Franklin's and the and the um, man I'm sorry my thoughts are just are not coming together here as well as I had hoped, but he played session guitar on a lot of uh, of the the classics you hear, the Motown classics. He preferred, in later interviews, he preferred to be a session musician rather than going out and playing clubs and um, and and building his own career. He much preferred to be the guy on guitar. He, he was in the background. I know he played uh, on a lot of the Monkees hits, and he was a Beach Boy for a little while. Um, 
and he was you know background with Elvis and a couple of the songs and, and Frank Sinatra and all these big names. He was the guy playing the guitar. Um, one of the things in reading his book, uh, his autobiography, talking about the group that he'd play with, the session musicians that he'd play with, they called themselves the Wrecking Crew. Um, there was a, a bass player, uh, Carol Kay, who has been described by, by several high-ranking, high-profile high uh, artists as the greatest bass player who ever ever lived it's uh it's uh her bass line that you hear on a lot of these old songs um uh carol would would come in and they they'd play session it was generally you know they would come in they'd be given the music the artist uh tina turner or whoever would be in the booth doing the the singing while they were learning the music and and laying down those tracks carol would uh would bring her knitting in and uh and knit in between songs, in between setups and everything else. She would uh, she would sit over the side and, and knit scarves and sweaters and things. And um, one of the observations was rock and roll myths are often just rock and roll myths. Usually there's somebody over on the side uh, knitting or, or writing or, or playing cards, being, you know, being human, being... Uh, Taking you know, filling in the time. The conversations that would happen must must have been uh, classic and interesting. But uh, but he didn't he didn't want to go out on the road and, and promote his own music so much as he just wanted to earn money playing the guitar. And the way he earned money playing guitar was with the Wrecking Crew. Um, of course, you know, in the late sixties, early seventies, he had a. a a string of uh, of hits, things that he wrote with, um, oh dear, um, other people. One guy in particular whose name is escaping me. I really should have planned for this better, but um, Jimmy Webb. That's the name I'm looking for. Jimmy Webb, uh, Galveston, and and um, by the time I get to Phoenix and uh, and Wichita Lineman, uh, my dad's favorite song, Wichita Lineman. Uh, he collaborated with Jimmy Webb on, on writing these amazing classic songs that uh, live beyond uh, his his own lifetime, his own lifespan. And uh, so he was he was just this dude. He was just this guy. And for a couple of years, he had his own TV show, but he never came across. Unlike the other ones that I would see around that time, people like Sonny and Cher and. And uh, some of the other that to me seem to be going for a certain style of lifestyle. Glenn Campbell just seemed like a real dude, just seemed like a real guy, just a, a guy with a guitar and a song. And maybe that's why my dad liked him so much. He didn't seem to fall for the trappings of, uh, of show business. He was chasing his own demons. He had um, he had problems with depression. He had problems with alcoholism, um, narcotics uh, addictions, cocaine addictions that um, are terrible, horrible things, and and affected his life, and you know, of course, affected his art. But uh, he uh, he dealt with them because of the music. 
something else, just just things that I read, uh, reminiscing back to his autobiography and the book that his daughter wrote about him. Um, he was married four times, um, and only once successfully. Um, he uh, he often chose the stage, chose the music over his family. He um, he left his first wife and, and his daughter behind to uh, to pursue his uh, his muse, to pursue his art. Uh, he had some uh, reportedly uh, passionate and tumultuous relationships um, with with women like Tanya Tucker on his way up. He wasn't always in the news for things like that. Throughout, from my perspective on things, his his music, his art, his his heart out on the page stood out more than his paparazzi life. You know, he he uh, he always seemed to. Um, to embrace the art first, to put that out ahead of everything else. And uh, I know that's affected me in the way I've done things. And, and even with um, the past couple of years and the things that I've lost and the things that I'm losing, you know, my art's always been there. The cards have been waiting off to the side to be picked up. And... Uh, I can only imagine that it had to be the same way with uh, with Glenn Campbell. I know a place between Life and death for you and me Best take hold on the threshold Of eternity And see the ghost on the canvas People don't see us Ghost on the That we can grow Spirits make love In a wheat field With crows Like a ghost on a canvas People don't see them Ghost on a canvas So 
takes one to know one Spirit always knows when it's seen Like a ghost on a Something that lives on longer than we do. Children, art, words. My dad was an engineer and an architect. He built things with his hands. He created things out of his mind that were very straight-lined and, and mathematic and pragmatic, which really defines and, and sums up my father in a lot of ways, but not everything. He... He had an artistic side. He loved to dance. He was a very good ballroom dancer, from what I was told. I never got to see that myself. Um, there's one real regret that I have. It's it's that. Uh, as far as our relationship goes, it was very strained for a very long time in, in different eras. Um, never felt like I really ever got his approval, and and I blame myself for that. He he had his own demons. He had his own things that pursued him and held him down in some ways and, and it ruined one life for him, the, the life he made with uh, my mom and uh, me and my sister. Uh, I, I was too young. I mean, I, I was... 12, 13 years old when they split and I have a vague idea of why they split um, and uh, they were both they both held certain amounts of blame and all of that and uh, I, I never I never pointed the finger at either one of them about you know it was your fault it was your fault I feel like it was more the era and the place that they chose to live and some of the friends that they accumulated and the lifestyle they were they were trying to embrace that um, that ended them and, and quite frankly it's none of my business <laughs> um, why they split but they did and uh, dad found a lot of happiness uh, in his second marriage he, he found a woman that really loved him uh, for exactly who he was and uh, and cared about him for for 
the man that that you know he he, he was that he uh, grew into. Um, my stepmother Rachel um, brought him a lot of joy, um, a, a lot more than than he'd had in uh, in previous life, and uh, and and loved him dearly. Um, my dad passed away too early, too uh, too young um, of pancreatic cancer. Uh, I'm not exactly sure of, of all the timelines on it. I was made aware of it, and uh, and he was gone uh, in a manner of weeks, matter of weeks after that. Uh, I had, I did have the opportunity to kind of say goodbye to him, but it didn't. It my father was always so strong. He was always such a, a big character to me. He was such a big man. He was such a, a rock and a pillar that. I didn't grasp how serious uh, the disease was that took him down until until he was already gone. You know, it just it had happened, and I um, I was pursuing my own life while he uh, in his last days. We 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 had some time together at the end. Uh, when, as he explained to me what he had and, and what it meant and, and, uh, and, and, and how he chose to go out with it. Um, but uh, I, I had a family of my own to support. This is, you know, it's not an excuse. It's what was in my head. I had a family of my own support to support, and, and that meant performing, and that meant being away, and, and I wasn't there at the actual end um, and don't I just blame myself for that sometimes too but um, there's a you know there, there's songs in his life there's songs in different parts of his life that, that I attribute to different eras of his life and 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 it always makes me pause when when I catch some of those songs but nothing was stronger uh, in those memories, than Glenn Campbell, than Galveston, than by the time I get to Phoenix, by you know Wichita lineman, and 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 after my dad passed away, a few years went by, and the music of Glenn Campbell came back into my life unexpectedly. Um, Glenn made a kind of a sort of a comeback when he discovered he had Alzheimer's. He uh, he had just finished recording a an album of uh, some covers of some modern bands uh, called Meet Glenn Campbell, and it was his way of, of reintroducing himself to a new generation. But um, then he, he discovered he had Alzheimer's and, and what path that was going to take, and he knew that he was going to start not remembering the people that he loved, and he was going to start perhaps to not remember the uh, the art that he created and it would eventually erase everything from his life it would erase everything in his mind straight out of his life and and, and during the past two years I have uh, taken a really hard look at these two men my dad and <laughs> And Glenn Campbell and, and, and contemplated 
the way that they ended. My dad got a disease and died quickly, really quickly. He had time to get things in order. He had time to to set things up for his family, to, to, to make sure that Rachel was taken care of, to make sure that, you know, to the best of his ability, that uh, he left with some dignity. And Glenn knew or found out that he was going to die years before he actually did. But he knew that the disease that he had was was not just going to kill him. It was going to drag him through hell for years, drag him and his family through an absolute hell for years before it actually killed him. And rather than... I have a friend, had a friend, and an icon, <laughs> uh, two different men, um, that found out they had terminal diseases and found out that they were going to uh, they were going to die from them. And and both the uh, the friend and the hero, the icon, decided to end their lives before the disease made them crazy. Before the before the disease. Uh, put them through all the hell that they were going to. They, they, they chose their own way out and uh, ended their own lives. And tragically um, affected a lot of people very negatively, myself included. They're flags I try to pick up and march on with, and, and that's, that's the way I believe it should be done. When, when someone falls, when, when they cannot... When depression kills someone or fear kills someone, the thing the living do is uh, pick up where they left off and, and take off with our own abilities, take off with our own gifts and try to, you know, you, you keep going. You, you go for one more day. Glenn decided rather than than uh, fade into obscurity or, or, or convalesce, or take his own life, he decided instead to make more art, to write more songs, to get up in front of more people, and uh, he took his kids with him. He took uh, the um, the children he had from from I think his his third marriage, maybe his second. I, I don't recall. Uh, they became backup musicians in, in his touring band uh, as he went out, you know, to, uh, to entertain people, to, uh, to, to sing the songs that he created and the new ones that he, that he was making as he went and, uh, and put them in front of an audience where they belonged. He didn't... The disease killed his body but it didn't destroy his spirit. And if you want some honesty here, as my life, the way I, I knew it, uh, fell to pieces and and uh, we, my family fell apart and I blame myself and I blame her 
and I blame the two of us, and I blame a lot of things. And I came to realize there's no place to really point blame. It, it happened, and a large part of it was misunderstanding and miscommunication and believing rumors that weren't true and, and ha having too much pride to... Uh, I don't want to use the word defend myself, but having too much pride to... to uh, I don't know. It's a long, complicated story that, that really probably doesn't belong here. But the point is, I came to that decision myself. I came to the point of this life is over. This 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 part of of what I was and what I built and and the partnership that I had as as fractured and and gone. And. Uh, and I lost a close friend out of um, several different reasons. Uh, a lot that had to do with just having to take care of myself when, from their point of view, I was too needy or, or too mean or too troubled with the things that were attacking me, with the demons that, that I was carrying, were too heavy for her to deal with and so I was made a secondary and I don't play that role very well so to protect my own heart to protect my own self I had to end a friendship that I uh, that I treasured and I had to do it brutally and I had to do it concisely and a uh, big part of that chapter is closing today as well anyway the thing that saved me more than uh, the therapists and more than the the uh, medications, which I did and I do, and the self-care, more than anything else, it was the art, the things that I created, the, the audiences that I get in front of, the, the, the people that I touch, uh, the lives that I alter in my own little way. Uh, that song, that, that last song, Ghost on the Canvas, about leaving something behind, about putting part of your soul into every bit of art that you do, leaving not only your, uh, your biological information in your children, but, but part of your spirit as well, teaching them, you know, what soul is and, and giving them a part of yours. To me, it's always been the audience also and the people facing me as I stand on a stage or across a table and showing them the vulnerable side, exposing my, uh, my underbelly, as it were, showing them where the softness is and where the vulnerability is and, and giving them the opportunity to either embrace what I'm putting out or to eviscerate me. There's, a, there's a, uh, an app out that's fairly popular right now, Sarah Saharaha or something. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's basically a, the opportunity to be to collect anonymous um, constructive criticism, is the way they put it, uh, compliments or uh, critiques or whatever. And of course, it's misused and abused by some. And and uh, I've had it referred to as uh, a narcissistic circle jerk. 
but I see it completely differently. In my mind, and, and, and the reason that I, that I have used it a bit to see what would happen, has been that it is, it is an opportunity to be vulnerable. It is an opportunity to open yourself up, to, to, to drop your shield, to drop your weapon, and say, what do you think? You know, tell me your honest truth. And that that opens the door for people to be cruel and it opens the door for people to be vicious and to hurt or to try to hurt or to troll you or to whatever. But it also gives the opportunity for genuine affection in a society that rejects open displays of genuine affection that says we have to be hard in the face of the world in order in the face of a hard world, but Forgive me, but I'm of the opinion that the softer you are, the more vulnerable you allow yourself to be, the closer you get to your own spirit, to your own soul, and, and the ability to, to give of that to other people. So I, in mine, opened mine, and I received exactly one really harsh um, message one really, really harsh one. And, uh, and it was true. Uh, what they said about me in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the harsh uh, critique that I got was absolutely true. Um, I couldn't just say, well, this was just a troll who was trying to hurt my feelings. What they said was, uh, was a fact. And it basically had to do with, uh, I, I chose performing. I chose this life. I chose my art over my family and because I was made to be given that choice. I, I, I was, you know, it, you have to make this this decision, go this way or go this way and, and embrace what you believe or, or, or change. And I decided to embrace what I believe and I, and I followed my art and I, it was misunderstood. It was, uh, it was uh, twisted into something that wasn't true, but that's not the point of this. The point of this is I made myself vulnerable and, and someone actually called me on the, on the true thing. Uh, I, I, I my, left my family behind and I entered into a very lonely life, uh, a, a life where I, I carry loneliness with me. I don't have a partner. I don't have someone waiting when I come home to, to talk to, to tell about my journey, to tell about the show that I just did, to say how this was awful and this went wrong. Or like Monday night, the show that I had Monday night was was incredible and uplifting and, and, and encouraging and beautiful. And, you know, for the, you know, in, in a tiny venue like Petra's, not tiny, but you know, it's 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 tiny. Okay. To 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 get forty to forty five people, which is what I think we got it, it made the room seem full. It wasn't packed, it wasn't uncomfortable, but it was full and they were enthusiastic and they were encouraging and they were laughing and they were singing along. And it was gratifying and it was amazing and there were people in tears afterwards, which to me, that's the most successful kind of show. The best kind of ovation is uh, joyful, joyful tears which I was able to provide. So I chose that. And 
a main uh, the, I chose that instead of killing myself quite frankly it was the audience and, and the opportunities to have things like this that, that, that despite me not having anyone to bring this news home to despite me coming home to an empty house and when I walk in the door of my empty house I always say honey I'm home even though there's nobody here to hear it. There are times I'd like to have someone to celebrate with. I'd like to have someone here to uh, to comfort me on, on the times that I need it. But right now, I don't know that I'd want to put anybody else through the hell that is me sometimes. But I chose the stage and I chose the art and Glenn chose the art and he chose the stage and he chose the audience and he said I'm going to do it until I just can't do it anymore this is my home this is what I was made to do why would I end it why would I stop why would I you know until I absolutely have to until I just can't remember anymore and they made a documentary about him and uh, it's called I'll Be There and it follows him uh, on uh, his last tour. <clears throat> and you can see the some of the deterioration in his memory as he gets angry at himself on stage because he can't quite remember <clears throat> the next lyric or the next uh, thing. And, and uh, towards the end, when he doesn't remember which songs he's played, and so occasionally he'll play the same song more than once in a concert. Uh, and uh, his people have to come out before he comes out and explain to the audience what kind of a mindset he's in. And uh, in those um, in those audiences, I uh, I imagine there were people who were there because they loved him and because they wanted to see him one more time. And I also imagine there were people there who came to see the freak show come see this guy this once incredible icon who is now dying of a uh, deterioration you know the of alzheimer's and let's see what happens you know let's see the funny part of what happens and i can see both sides of those things and while i certainly don't approve of the second one i can understand one of the last songs that uh, that glenn wrote uh he wrote to his wife, uh, to his uh, his fourth uh, and final wife, who um, he loved dearly and who loved him. But sometimes he couldn't remember her name, and sometimes he couldn't distinguish between her and his oldest daughter. He he uh, he could remember which was which in his mind for for a few moments, and you could see the frustration in the documentary about that. But uh, he wrote a love song, and uh, and in the explanation of it, he uh, he points out that he doesn't ever have to miss her. He's uh, he's going to be alive, but but he won't uh, he won't remember, you know, that they were once in love and and that it ended. Uh, because one, his romance with his with his wife never ended, uh, right up to his death, and and two, because of the Alzheimer's, he uh, he forgot everyone, 
he forgot how to miss them. He uh, he didn't have the pain of uh, of a shattered life. I'm gone I don't play guitar or sing my songs It never defined who I am The man that loved you till the end You're the last person it out completely to the end he loved his family he loved his friends he loved them all passionately and and I believe he loved us he loved his audience as much or, or maybe even more than he loved them because in his life in his living and in his choices he chose us he chose his art he chose his he picked his ghost and he put it on the canvas and he gave us things to remember him by my father in my lifetime built two houses i uh i helped him <laughs> i uh, assisted him uh with one of them and uh i have memories of being 7 years old and uh nailing shingles onto the roof 
Yeah, that's right. 1972 on a, uh, uh, on a roof with my dad uh, nailing shingles down, him showing me how to align them exactly the right way because, like I told you, a straight-line thinker, mathematician, engineer, electrical engineer, um, who things, things had to be just so. And so he showed me how to craft that particular thing. We, he, he was building, that, that house was in Tiga K, South Carolina, and at the, it was brand new, Tiga K. And they had the idea of all the houses being of a Polynesian style. And so um, that's how he built it. He built a double round Polynesian style house. Uh, you'll have to look that up because I can't quite describe what it is, except that if you're thinking Polynesian style and you think uh, rounded, uh, thatched roof uh, style houses, you're not far off. He did uh, he did pine shingles uh, for the roof of his house, and I was up on a roof with him at seven years old, uh, driving nails, as he taught me how to drive nails. And the houses outlived him and brought comfort to different families and, and to new families. And I'm also part of his legacy. And the values he taught me as a child and as a young man, whether I agreed with, with all of them or not, I came to realize a lot of truth in the things that he, he instilled in me. And I gave those gifts to my own children. And uh, I taught, I, I showed them as, uh, the love that I could. I, you know, and, I, and I feel like I did that well. I, I feel like I did, despite evidence to the contrary at the moment, I believe I was a good father. And I believe I gave of myself and I, and I sacrificed for my kids. And I taught them the value of love and compassion and kindness because they all have it and they got it from me and they got it from Dawn and, and it was very strong for a while and I hope they retain it uh, as they grow into the adults that they are uh, beautifully growing into I, I really don't know what else to say I'm not sure that, that this even made sense, but I felt like when I when I got up this morning, when I when I woke up to take care of the morning tasks and and uh, prepare for this day, which I'm not exactly sure how it's going to unfold or what's going to happen at the end of it, because I am uh, I am uh, putting the final touches on a uh, I'm, I'm closing a door. I'm, I'm uh, taking care of myself and in so doing um, closing off a section of my life that brought me some happiness at one time and uh, it's painful and it's emotional and there's no way of, of avoiding the, the pain and the emotion of what's going to be going down today and I'm sorry for being vague but at this point it's not something I can talk about uh, I'll share it with you in the future, but it's not just my feelings that I'm, I'm dealing with here, and I want to be gentle and delicate with 
other people's feelings as well. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to paint anyone in a bad light as best I can. So, so today's going to be tough and it's been made tougher by, uh, ghosts being raised, uh, in my awareness because of, uh, because of Mr. Campbell's death yesterday. He, uh, he lost everything. He, he lost all of his memories. He lost, uh, all recognition of anything he could not understand uh, even the language that was being spoken to him at the end from from the reports I've read and some of the things the family has said he couldn't even uh, understand English after a while uh, couldn't speak it couldn't comprehend it but uh, apparently he was happy he did have some joy so apparently his soul had some satisfaction in the work that it had done. And I wonder about that in cases like this, you know, with, with, with death and the, the spirit moving on, the consciousness moving on or whatever it does fades away, flips off what, you know, ascends to a higher place, whatever it does, what happens when, uh, when your mind goes first? Not so much your brain turning off or, you know, losing brain activity the way my mother did, but, but, uh, but slowly losing who you are. When does, when does your soul move on from there? Well, with, with artists, with, uh, parents, with, uh, human, human beings, I guess, the things that we've done, the, the lives we've affected, the art we've created, the, the lives that we moved and, and changed and saved, that's what lives on. That's, that's what goes on from here. Whether you physically put something on a canvas or, or build a house or create something physical or dance, or do card tricks. More than anything of those physical things, the feelings that we give to other people, the inspiration, the hope, and the joy that we create in someone else is genuinely what our legacy is. And the ghost on our canvas and the, the, the never-ending spirit that genuinely lives on after we die. It's this. It's the people that we touch, the people that we talk to, whether we're standing on a stage or sitting across a table or having lunch with someone, sharing a meal, cooking for somebody. Make a call. Send a message. You could love. That's the thing. A few words for the dead. They loved and they left their legacy. And they saved me. And they shaped me. Still got his music. Glenn's music. We all do. It's out there along with thousands of other artists who move and shape and strive 
and put their hearts out for everybody to see to the best of their ability and with all their might, standing in a spotlight, standing in the spotlight of the eyes looking at you, (laughs) or saying words into a microphone, or practicing by yourself for hours on end (laughs) to fill up a lonely day or two, or traveling on the road driving endless miles just to get up in front of people for a few minutes and uh, and share your life. Man, I'm rambling on maudlin, aren't I? Look, we are creative beings. We are, we have the desire to make something that makes people happy or affects their lives or gives them joyful tears. Everybody I know has that desire in them at one at one level or another just to be heard, just to be seen. And I see you. If you're listening here, if, if you are close enough to me or, or found me by accident or someone recommended this, <laughs> this little exercise in narcissistic circle jerking that I do, <sighs> narcissistic masturbation, since it's just me by myself here, maybe, I don't know. All I know is I know there are people who like to listen to my voice and I know there are people who's, who find the words that I come up with comforting and so I put them out. I put them, I record them and I put them out in the hopes that it does something for somebody and it gets these words that are bouncing around in my head out. I guess that's the main thing. I do what I do because I have to do what I do. My dad taught me that. Glenn Campbell taught me that. <laughs> Two different men. One, and, and to be quite honest, in some ways, I know, the, I know the rhinestone cowboy better than I know the engineer. Because dad wasn't a very sharing person as far as his emotions go, as far as his story goes. I, I don't know it very well. Um, he never, he didn't want to share certain parts of his life or his thoughts or his emotions with me. I know the basics, but I don't know, I don't know the man. And in some ways that's okay because he remains the, the, the huge mythical pillar of father, you know, that, that I have. But as I get older, I, I do wonder about how he felt and how he saw things and what made him cry. And in some ways, I know Glenn Campbell better than I know Robert Hannibal. Robert Hannibal taught me how to be kind, how to be a man, how to love people, how to sacrifice, how to think in straight lines sometimes. <laughs> Glenn Campbell taught me how to feel, taught me how to look at myself, taught me how to love myself to a certain degree, and uh, taught me that it doesn't always, 
Art is life, and putting down the joy is important, but putting down the pain is also important. Putting it on the paper, putting it on the canvas, putting it out in the airwaves. So he was an icon in my life, and I will always associate Glenn Campbell with my father. And uh, I'm carrying on from here, and I'm painting on my canvas, and I'm doing my card tricks. <laughs> and I'm here as best I can be for people that need me. If you're my friend, I will make time for you as best I can, as limited as time is. And, and there's sometimes I'm just going to have to take care of myself. And I hope you won't blame me for that. Because I have to, I have a responsibility to the gift I was given. I encourage you to love somebody today for no good reason. I encourage you to think about what your gift is. I encourage you to pursue ways of using it in positive, uplifting, moving ways that change the world. And holy crap, we're in, a, we're in so much chaos right now. We are in so much fear. Fear is being propagated at us from all directions. And that's that's not reality it would take just a little bit of compassion love and kindness to radically change the world but everyone would need to embrace it and unfortunately not everyone is fear seems to be more accessible it's easier to do i'm not ranting today i'm not going to do it you have love. You have a gift. Put them together and put them out there and love one another. Reach out to somebody today and, and genuinely love them. Make a phone call. Make a, make a message. Make a whatever. Let somebody know. Let me know. <laughs> My brain. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm going to wrap this up. I love my dad. I admire and love Glenn Campbell. And I find strength in things that they both gave me. And uh, I miss them both. I miss my dad. There's things I'd really like to talk over with him now that I, I didn't understand were important when I was younger. I'd like to reconnect with my children. I'd really like for that to happen. I'd like for the, the hurt feelings to, to fade and, and love to come back to the surface and, and forgiveness, you know, whatever you blame me for. And I believe it'll happen. I just, I hope they don't wait too late. Uh, well, that snuck in, didn't it? My father's favorite song was Wichita Lineman. 
with all of its its storytelling, with the uh, the wonderful alliteration that happens in the <laughs> in the second verse. Um, I got to see Glenn Campbell perform this live uh, twice in concert, and uh, from my perspective. He, he lifted his eyes more than he did uh, in other songs. Glenn connected with his, with his audience very, very personally. He would, he would be right there with them. Uh, but for this song, he seemed to sing it to the, to the lights, to the top of the building. He'd lift his eyes up to the, to the, uh, the, the ceiling. And my dad, um, the only time... One of one of the only times I could count maybe two or three at best times that I saw my dad cry was when uh, Glenn Campbell played this song live, and he did it very quietly. There were just a few drops on his cheeks, but uh, you could tell the song moved him very, very deeply. And uh, <laughs> in in my mind, I always think of my father as a Wichita lineman. <laughs> um, for no good reason other than the song moved him and uh, he showed his emotions because of this song it is Wednesday August 9th it is now 9am and uh, I hope that there's love where you are the county and I drive the main road searching in the sun for another overload I hear you singing in the wire I can hear you through the Tall lineman is still on the line. I know I need a small vacation, but it don't look like rain. And if it snows that stretch down south won't ever stand the strain And I need you more than won't you And I want you for all time And the Wichita lineman Is still on the line
for all time and the Wichita lineman is still on the line.